Well, thank you all. As Chad just mentioned, he opened up the series on the names of God, which if you look around, you can see it happen. And Chad began last week with Elohim, God as creator. One of the main points he said was this. We're going to see how well your memory has done. If God can create something out of nothing, how does that end? You got to give me a little more confidence in this. I'm about to pour out my heart for 30 minutes. I want you to think you can know it. If God can create something out of nothing, he can take anything and make something. Thank you. You got it. You got the concept that if God can create Echnahil out of nothing, then he can rule in our life. If we just have anything at all, he can do something with it. Now, it's a great sermon. If you didn't hear it, I hope you'll go online and pick it up. Chad did leave one question unanswered. If you remember near the start, he was talking about how his daughter really wanted him to get a hamster. And I'd like to wrap that up as a little older guy. I'm about 10 years older than Chad, probably 10 IQ points lower, but 10 years older. Uh, I'd just like to suggest that Chad and Rika do go ahead and get their daughter the hamster. Uh, they already have a goldfish. I found that hamsters and goldfish are great pets because they teach our kids about death. <laughs> you get them a golden retriever, that's a 10 to 15 year investment. You get them a hamster or goldfish, you get through those ideological questions a little bit sooner. So um, this morning we're moving on to God is El Elyon, the most high God, the God who rules. So let's, let's pray if we could. Father, it is such an honor that we could just sit here and study who you are. Nothing will delight our hearts more, nothing will bring more joy than to know who you are because you are beyond wonderful. So Lord, I pray in spite of me that you would release the power of this name, the Most High God. Father, that we could get it, that we could be nurtured by it, that we could be inspired, challenged, and convicted by it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A couple years ago, my wife and I arrived at the Houston airport a little bit early to take off for a flight. So we went into a restaurant waiting for our breakfast to be served. Right next to me was a man of Middle Eastern descent, and then he had an Asian woman right next to him. And my meal came and bowed and prayed a little bit. As soon as I lifted up my head, he said, I knew you were a brother. I was like, what? Because there's just something about you. I thought, that's a believer. But I waited until your food was served, and I saw you pray. I said, Okay, well, hi, I'm Gary, and he introduced himself. I asked where he was headed. He and his wife were married, obviously, if they're married. But they, they were headed to Amsterdam for an international conference on the underground church in Iran. So, well, how did you get into that? And he told me his life story. It was fascinating. He'd been a member of Hezbollah, the terrorist organization. And because of his terrorist activities, he'd been imprisoned in a Malaysian prison for three years. He said, Gary, it's probably the worst experience of my life. I want you to think about that. If, if you are filled with hatred and rage and anger and bitterness, and then you're stuck in this cell, there's no outlet, no expression. You're just stewing in that poisonous spirit. It was beyond excruciating to him. And then near the end of his prison stay, there was this man that was in his cell one morning when he woke up. And he said, it's like he exuded light. There's just a sense of peace about him. It scared me. I thought maybe there's a bit of deity about him. And so it terrified me. I said, well, why did that terrify you? He said, Gary, in Islam, the only time God visits somebody in person is to kill them. I'm like, man, I didn't know that. 
But the man shared with him, they didn't kill him, he shared him the way of forgiveness and grace and life in Jesus Christ. He explained the way. The man said, I, I want that. I'm, I'm going crazy sitting here. So he prayed over him to become a Christian. He said, Gary, and that launched his lifelong ministry of taking this gospel, this person of Jesus Christ, to everyone he could meet. And then he said something that, that really surprised me. He said, you know, our president at the time, it was Ahmadinejad. He said, our president has probably led more people to the Lord than anyone in the past decade. I'm like, the, the madman? <laughs> I mean, the guy who hates Christians and Jews? He goes, precisely. He employment, diseases, moral degradation. If anything's wrong, he does a speech and it's the Christian's fault. And so what happens is all the citizens are coming to us, the little tiny church and saying, why does our president hate you so much? What is it that you believe that is so destructive? And people are coming to the Lord by the thousands. Now you give the Lord a clap on that. And it was just amazing to me how I look at Iran, I think how depressing, how defeated, how, how awful all that's going on. And yet we see the hand of El Elyon, the Most High God, the God who rules, working in the background in ways we can't even imagine. That's the power of understanding who God is. The name El Elyon is listed in Psalm 97.9 when we're told this. For you, O Lord, are El Elyon, most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. If you heard last week, as we talked about Elohim, you remember that Chad mentioned that, that El was a name that used for other gods that um, wasn't necessarily just the Israel God and, and um, also Elohim. But El Elyon is different in that it is a name that God shares with no one else. Another psalm says that, 83, 18 that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are El Elyon over all the earth. No other God can possibly be most high, which makes sense when you think about what it means, because there can only be one most high. I mean, you can create on different levels. Nobody creates out of nothing like God, but you, can, you can't be, have two people who are most high. And we are blessed people indeed when the bible says the god you worship the god you know the god who knows you by name is the only most high god who rules over the earth and so as chad taught us last week that if god can make something out of nothing he can make anything out of whatever you bring i really mangled that up but <laughs> ll yon tells us if god can rule the world god can rule your life if God is most high God over everything, he is certainly most high God over any problem or situation you face. And that will dramatically impact how we live our lives. My wife and I have some close friends out in California and some years ago, they were in a very trying situation. It was one of those stress-filled seasons of life. Both their kids were in junior high. They knew they needed to move and they were trying to sell their home and they wanted to do so in the midsummer because they wanted their kids to start in the new school district in September. The problem was that the neighborhood where they were going to move, the market prices were going up and up and up. And where they were trying to sell their house, it was stagnation. And, and she's got, I don't know if any of you have tried to do this. It's awful. Two junior high boys and a husband, and you're trying to keep the house clean to show. I mean, is there anything worse than living in a house you're trying to keep clean so that you can show to others? Particularly when you got two junior high boys and they're all involved in sports and all that. And so she's trying to do that and the house isn't selling and she's frustrated and disappointed. God, what does this mean for our boys? We got to get them into the new school district. 
And then one very messy breakfast time, you know, the boys are just about ready to leave. Her husband's about ready to go. She gets a call from a realtor. Hey, I have a promising couple, but they need to see the house in about 30 minutes. What do you think? She's like, oh. and so she's throwing the dishes in the dishwasher, trying to throw things in the closet, knowing even then it's probably going to be opened up. But frantic 30 minutes, getting the kids out of the house, trying to get it halfway ready to show. And she's going to a coffee shop so that she can do her work from there that she needs to get done. And she's so stressed and so uptight as she's driving her car to the coffee shop. She looks at her hands at a stoplight and her knuckles are literally white. She's just tense and she's just tight and the stress is just visibly present in her hands. And she sensed God come over her and say, Rebecca, is this how you want to live? What have you forgotten? Is this good that you're in this situation? She remembered who God is. And here is what she said. I'll let you read her words. She said, it's that moment. I realized I wasn't really trusting God to do his work in his time. Instead, I was angry, frustrated, and gripping tightly to worldly matters instead of trusting my heavenly father to handle things. With the light still red in front of me, I released my hands and lifted them up in a prayer of forgiveness. I let the Lord know right then and there how sorry I was for my lack of faith. As I did so, I relaxed for the first time in weeks. I felt a wave of peace sweep over me, and by the time the light switched to green, I was more than ready to move forward with my father fully at the controls. I want to point out nothing about her situation had changed in the time it took the light to go from red and green. The only thing that in life that had changed was her perception, her remembrance. God is El Elyon. Even when I don't feel like it, even when everything isn't going according to my schedule, there is a God named El Elyon that I worship and I can take refuge in him. And I wonder how many people here this morning are living with white knuckles. Real situations, real problems. Is that child or grandchild, are they going to get out of drugs? If they're going to get the job, or is that health problem going to be taken care of? I mean, there are real issues in our life that can rock our faith. And in these real issues, this isn't just a clever series of words that Chad has concocted. It has great power for us to live our lives. I love Proverbs 18.10 when it says this, the name of of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. If we will remember these names, it becomes a tower in our lives. Knowing who he is, how he reveals himself, goes to the very foundations of our being. It's a fundamental comfort to us as believers. Here's what I found just as a pastor. If you don't remember God is El Elyon, that he rules over the earth, you'll be ruled by your fears, you'll be ruled by your passions, you'll be ruled by your addictions, and none of them have a tenth of the mercy and grace and gentleness of God. What will we let rule our life? And that really is, I believe, Satan's frontline battle. Satan can't overpower us. He can't do anything to us. He's got to get permission from God for anything. But where he goes to war is with our mind. When those life situations come up, things aren't going just like we think they should go. Here's what Satan whispers. Is God really El Elyon? 
If God really rules, then why isn't this being fixed? If God is really El Elyon, why hasn't this been taken care of? If God is really El Elyon, how come this is still a problem? Because he knows everything depends on us forgetting or stopping to believe that God indeed rules over the earth. When we're divorced from that, it's game over. And we always think the battle is really that the physical situation has to be changed, that child has to be cured. And I I don't take that lightly. I live just a few miles from one of the largest children's hospital in the nations, and few things will rock your faith, like walking the halls of that, and you see sick kids. Not that long ago, I sat across the desk from a man who has been spending three years full-time looking for work. It's affected his marriage. It's affected his relationship with his kids. It's affected his self-esteem. I know these are real issues. I know they are painful issues. I'm not pretending they're not. But in the midst of them, there's a spiritual battle going on where Satan is doing his best to convince you that because it's not as you think it should be, perhaps God isn't really El Elyon. We don't need to know how God is going to deliver us, just that he can. He's El El Yom. And once we realize that, we don't have the fear. We realize that even if the prayer isn't answered as God, as, as we would have God answer it, he is powerful enough. He has more than enough resources to give us the grace to face the consequences or the difficulties that we're going to have to walk through. I really look at it like this. I think it's the difference between living life as a guest or as a host. Have you ever hosted a party? It's a lot of work, isn't it? You got to make sure every chip bowl is filled and the drinks are filled and anything that's spilled, you've got to clean up. And if there's somebody that seems left out, you're trying to connect them. I mean, you're just busy bee. You're moving around. Is this person taken care of? Is that person happy? Is that empty? And, And it's, I mean, it's a busy night. Now, if you're a guest, it's a whole different experience, isn't it? You're kicking back. You're talking to your friends. Let's oh, spill some coffee. Somebody better let Joan know we got some coffee spilled here. Or, hey, we, we need some more coffee. It's empty. Can somebody, and, and, and you're just kind of having a good time. And those who forget that God is El Elyon live like hosts. They've got to make it happen. If they don't do it, it's not going to get done. There's no peace. There's nothing but stress. It's a life filled with white knuckle moments. And God said, look, I don't ask you to run the world. I don't ask you to run your world. I am El Elyon. I have a name I share with no one else. Your name is not El Elyon. Nobody else's name here is El Elyon. That is my name. Recognize me as God. William Law, 17th century Anglican, put it this way. Every man, we could certainly say every woman in modern language, every person is to consider himself or herself a particular object of God's providence under the same care and protection of God as if the world had been made for him or her alone. It is not by chance that any man is born at such a time of such parents and in such place and condition. Every soul comes into the body at such a time and in such circumstances By the express design of God, according to some purposes of his will and for some particular ends. Where we are, when we live, how we live is there by God's particular choice. Now, this begins to tell us how glorious God has been toward us already. There might be some people here today 
that don't yet believe. And I want to tell you, even in your unbelief, God has been inexplicably kind and generous to you in being who you are. Here's what I mean by that. I was running with my youngest daughter one time. We were going along on this country road. And we came up onto the squirrel that had been hit by a car. Some crows had pecked out half of it. And we're passing. I was just overcome with this morbidness. I said, Kelsey, I, that could have been me. She's like, what? I, I could have been a squirrel. I mean, God could have made me a squirrel. I, how pathetic is that? You run around picking up nuts, trying to get out of the snow. You live a couple of years. You die by a car. Some crow picks out your guts. I'd never get to be a husband to your mom. I couldn't be your dad. I couldn't get to write books. I wouldn't know what love is. Or I, I, I could have been, been a cow. We passed this guy. I got standing in the rain, eating grass, <laughs> chewing the cut. I, 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 I just, I'm so grateful I'm not a squirrel. And Kel's like, Dad, we're going on a run. Chill out. But, but for me, it's almost a moment of revelation. God could have made you a crow. He could have made you a goldfish. Maybe he decides to make you a hamster and your whole future depends on Chad saying whether or not you're coming into his house, all right? I'm guessing his daughter would treat you well, but who knows? I mean, it's the fact that you are here to hear me, that you can intellectually understand it, you can even talk about God. That's God who made that happen. That's how much we owe him. He could have made us anything and it was his choice. You will be a man, you will be a woman. You will know what it is to love. You will know what it is to worship. You will know what it is to hurt, to face death, to answer philosophical questions. We are unlike any other creation on this earth for one reason and one reason only. God decided that we would be blessed that way. But often we don't give God credit for it, do we? I met a mom in Kansas one time, had a real difficult time as a parent. She had a daughter with multiple disabilities, physical, developmental. They were doing all they could heroically to try to help her get the best start in life she could. Three times a week, she'd have to take her to this place far away to get this particular kind of physical therapy she needed. And her daughter didn't appreciate it. She didn't like it. She picked her up from school one time. The daughter gets in and slams the door and she looks at her mom with an icy stare. She says, I will never forgive you for doing this to me. The mom said, yeah, I wanted to explode. I wanted to tell her, what is it you're not gonna forgive? The fact that I wear jeans that are 10 years old so I can pay $150 an hour for you to have this therapy. The fact that I could be playing tennis with Becca this afternoon or going out to coffee and said I'm driving you and sitting in a waiting room while these doctors try to give you the best start in life they can. What is it really that you won't forgive me for? And she said, Gary, I, I'm happy to do it for her. I, she's my daughter, but she doesn't have a clue. And you parents who have been through that, you know a lot of times our kids, they don't have a clue what we do for them. But here's the thing. We don't have a clue what God does for us. Do you have any idea how actively God is protecting us, defending us, providing for us in ways we don't even see? I don't think it's just me. Have you ever done then where you're, you're driving or you're doing something really stupid and you realize 
that could have ended so bad, but you just get this sense that God stepped in and said, nope, I'm not gonna let your foolishness wreck you this time. I'm gonna give you a path. I, I, sometimes I've worshiped so hard. I'm saying, Lord, there's no natural explanation why that didn't just wreck. Thank you. I'm gonna be more careful. And I believe that God reached down and said, nope, not this time. I'm gonna spare him from his own stupidity. How often has God opened the door for us vocationally and we think, well, yeah, I got lucky or my networking finally paid off when God himself intervened and said, at this moment, at this time, these two will come together. This will be done. How often have we been discouraged and we hear just the right thing on the radio or you read just the right thing in a book or, or hear a friend say just the right phrase that lifts you up. I've actually kind of experienced this from the opposite side. A couple years ago, I... Zonovan asked me to put together um, a devotional. It's called Simply Sacred. It's daily reading. So we got 365 there. We kind of called it from my book, but I was reworking the entries. And as working on one, I really felt it starting to turn. And I swear I could sense God saying, I know exactly who's going to need this. And there's a sense of cooperation with God. I thought, how like God it is that he's thinking Five years from now, 10 years, who knows? Somebody's going to read this and this aren't, these aren't just words to God. He says, somebody's gonna be in a state of life when they need exactly this truth and I'm gonna get it through this thick-headed writer who has nothing on his own to say, hey, how about giving him something that will really help him? And I felt like I was cooperating because God is thinking ahead of time, how do I feed my church? How do I build my church? God is doing that. But do we ever acknowledge how active he is or are we like that adolescent girl because one thing is frustrating is God I will never forgive you for letting me face this here's how the Bible presents it in James 1 17 every good every good and every perfect not some not most every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights that's El Elyon. So how does this apply to us? Where do we go with this? The fact that God is El Elyon really calls us, I believe, to two responses. And the first response is this. It challenges us to be available to God's activity. If God is most high who rules over the earth, we know he is ruling over the earth and he often uses us as his lieutenants and sergeants and privates to get his work done. I remember one weekend some years ago, I was just, the church had, had worked me pretty hard. I was pretty much exhausted. And I've learned, particularly back then when the kids were young, Lisa would stay at home. She's the classic extrovert. I'm the classic introvert. I had to save up some words for my wife because she hadn't had adult company all weekend. She would want to talk when we get back. And I've been talking all weekend. So I'm saying, Lord, I'm glad I got a three-hour flight. I'm just going to get lost in this book. I'm going to go into another world of a novel. I'll come home and, 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 and serve my wife. Well, I got to the airport and the airline had really messed up my reservation. I've, I've flown over a million miles on United. They usually treat me well, but somehow my seat had been lost. And so they said, the only seat we've got is near the back. It's in the middle. I'm like, oh man, are you kidding me? Well, if it's the only way I'm gonna get home, I'll take it. So I get there and uh, I, got th I went to the back and there was a businessman on the side uh, reading uh, a book. I'm thinking, this is good. And there was an elderly woman right by the window and I saw the open seat and I started to move in. And if you've traveled a lot, you know there are readers and there are talkers. 
You know what I'm saying? And before I even got settled in my seat, she's off and running. And, oh, hi, how are you? Where are you coming from? Is this where you live? And she's going, and, and I'm just, okay. And I'm just wistfully looking at that book in the front pocket saying, there is my salvation, there is my hope. I just want to get lost. And she must have caught my gaze because she says, oh, I'm sorry. You probably just want to relax and read your book. I should shut up. So I'm reaching for it because like, she's giving me permission, right? And she says, it's just, I don't get to talk very much since my husband died a few months ago. I'm like, oh, <laughs> And it dawned on me, Gary, your seat got bumped. There are 175 passengers on this plane. Isn't it at least a possibility that God says, I have a lonely widow who just needs to, does her husband, Gary, will you be my ambassador here? Just talk to her. So I put the book back. I'm sorry to hear that. Do you live now, your kids? And, and here's the thing. It doesn't always work out this way, but I think I left that flight more refreshed than if I had just been in my self-absorbed world because I'd participated in El Elyon, the most high God who rules. That's the kind of God he is. He cares about his people so much and he would use us. So when you're at a Starbucks, when you're sitting outside at a soccer game, which might be a couple months for you all. <laughs> It'd be an interesting soccer game. Uh, but but when, when you have those conversations, isn't it possible that God has put you in that point for that time? Last year, I was thinking I was going to go to lunch, and um, I had a full day. I had to think a lot, so I just grabbed my newspaper. I, I was trying to think of where I wanted to eat. For some reason, I really thought Mexican, and there's just like, no, you're not going to eat Mexican. You're going to go to Jason's Deli. I thought, well, I just don't know. I want soup and salad. I, barbecue, man, I'm kind of, no, you're not going to go... I don't know why, I just thought, fine, I'm just going to go to Jason's Deli. So I sit down, open up my paper, and I saw this family. They kept kind of glancing back at me. And that happens sometimes at Houston. I'm, I'm on staff. It's a, it's a pretty large church. A lot of people get to know what you look like. They kept looking. Finally, one got up and came to me. Are you, you Pastor Gary? I said, yeah, I am. I said, well, our, our son is about to go in for a pretty serious operation. We're just stopping here before we go into the hospital. You mind come meet him? He's really enjoyed your teaching. It would mean a lot to him. I said, oh, I'm happy to do that. So I went over and talked to him. They told me about the operation. I said, you know, can I, can I pray for you? They said, please, we'd love that. And so I did. I went back to my lunch. It was no big deal. A week later, somebody came up to me at the next church. I said, Gary, I just got to tell you, you know, you met a family at Jason's Deli last week? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You have no idea what that meant. I mean, they were nervous. They were white-knuckled. They were concerned. They said it was just like this breath of fresh air, this peace of God that lifted them up. It was just, it was just a divine appointment. I look back, I laugh. Well, that's why I couldn't decide where I'm going because I'm thinking, let's go Mexican. God say, no, Gary, you're going to Jason's Deli. Now, I think maybe Carabas. Gary, you're going to Jason's Deli. What? How about barbecue, man? I'll go to the pizza bar. No, Jason's, I mean, God is laughing at me. Look, here's what's going to happen. And finally, he gets it through. And those are the moments when life becomes, it's just different. We see the reality of God that he can use us with our sin and our appetites and all of that because he rules over everything. Wherever you go, are you ready to be used by God? So that's the challenge, but there's also an assurance. Because God is El Elyon, we can be assured that everything that doesn't turn out just like we think it should turn out, God is still able to work behind the scenes to do something wonderful. I have a good friend in Houston who is a very powerful,
powerful lawyer in one of the big law firms, but he's got other jobs. Guys like this in Houston wear three or four different hats. And he's telling me the story of how when he was growing up in Beaumont, Texas, his dream, as many Texas boys' dreams is, is to be a great football player. That's what most of them want to be. The problem was he was a small little runt. He said, I, I ate all day. I couldn't get over 100 pounds. And in junior high, he got cut from the football team. And he said, it was the lowest day of my life as a child. He walked two miles home. It was literally two miles back then. I know sometimes people say that, but that's what they did. And he just got heavier and heavier and heavier. He's embarrassed about now everybody's going to know. I'm going to get laughed at. I'm going to have nothing to do. I have nothing but time. He gets home and his neighbor saw that he was home. Said, you didn't make the football team. He said, no, I got cut. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to the tennis court. I could really use a, a partner. What do you think? And he's like, well, got nothing else to do. So he took it up and he found that though he wasn't very big, he was actually pretty quick and his hand-eye coordination was really good. And he became a great tennis player. Not only a star in high school, but he became very good in college. So then when he went on and became a lawyer, the partners found out he gave him a great game. And he said, Gary, the first couple of years when I was in that law firm, while the first and second year lawyers are slaving away with files, I'm playing in the afternoon with the top partners. I'm getting to know them. And he goes, being cut from the football team and then having to play tennis has helped my vocation more than perhaps any other thing in my life, the contacts it made. At the time, he thought this is the worst thing that could happen. Looking back now from his 60s, my life might be so different if that hadn't have happened. And so you might be in one of those moments. Why is this going on? God doesn't always reveal his plans, but we can look back that he still has plans if things don't go well. And what it does is it just sets us up to have an attitude of peace toward God. Look, you're going to get through this life, but some of you are going to get through it in anxiety and stress and white knuckled until the day you die. You're going to see God in his glory and say, what was I worried about? When I see God in his beauty and glory, he had it all under his control. And I, I, life was just so different because I didn't recognize that. See, I want to live life like my youngest daughter, Kelsey, when she was a baby. She's 21 years old now. But our oldest daughter was a girl, Allison. And then my second child was a boy, Graham. So I'd been changing a girl's diapers for a couple years and then finally got to change Graham's diapers and I learned there's a very big difference between changing a boy's diaper and a girl's diaper. When you're changing a girl's diaper, nothing's pointing at you, all right? Just a little helpful tint, hint for new soon-to-be parents. You, you keep your mouth closed, okay? Just, it's, there's some dangers there that you don't realize. Young couple there. And so when Graham saw me get out the diapers and the stuff, he's just a competitive guy. And it was like, game on. I mean, it was this challenge. You think you can get this diaper off me? You think you can get that diaper? Oh yeah, go ahead. Come on, let's have it. And I would wrestle Graham and I always won. I got the diaper off. I got him cleaned. Sometimes I paid a heavy price, but, but I got it on. Now it never looked very good. It looked like it was haphazard. It looked like it was on sideways, but I got it on. I was going to win. Kelsey had a much different disposition as a baby. Lisa and I kept joking when she, before she became a two-year-old and entered that phase, we would look for wings on her back. She was just this compliant, happy little cuckoo baby. And when I would change her diaper, it's like she's thanking me even before she could talk. I've got to take the diaper out. She literally lifted her bottom so I could get it out and on. I mean, it was a pleasure. And my diapers around Kelsey were works of art. I'm, I'm serious. You could have put them in a commercial. You could have put them in a photographic book. I mean, I really 
probably should have taken pictures. I mean, they were just these wonderful works of art. Both of them got the diapers on, all right? One, it was a pleasant experience. One, it was a work of art. The other one, not so much. And I want to be like Kelsey. God's going to win. He's going to rule. I can make it painful or I can make it pleasant. I want to let it be pleasant. Some of you might say, but Gary, you don't understand the depth of our pain, the depth of our situation. Let me take you back to the first century. Imagine you're one of those disciples who has left everything to follow Jesus. You left your friends, your family. You left your jobs. You have no home. You've just been going around with this itinerant Messiah and you believe him. You think there's something of God in him. You think he's the one who's going to rule. And then in a hellacious week that you never could have imagined, he's arrested and condemned and murdered. And what do you do when your God is now dead? What hope do you have when you live in a world and you go out in the streets and you hear the jackboots of the Roman soldiers and all that power reminds you, you have nothing. There are no churches, there's no leadership. There are no books left behind. And the religious leaders killed your teacher. They think of you as a heretic. You don't know what you're going to do. You bet your life on this man and he's gone. And you think, how stupid was I? But we know the story, don't we? Three days later, that terrible defeat became the most glorious moment in history the lamb who bore the slins of the world rose from the dead he will open the seal at the last times we will see him in his glory that death had to happen for you and i to be here today to have the hope that we have to know the grace that we have out of the worst moment of defeat and despair el el yon reigned and he would reign in your life and in your kid's life and in your marriage and in your parents. So what's the antidote to white knuckles? It's red knees. We live our life on our knees. Lord, I don't get it, but I'm going to remember Psalm 97.9. You are Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You're working in Iran. You're working vocationally. You're working through sickness. I believe you can work through my life as well. Let's pray. Father, how blessed we are called to follow a God like you. You could be whatever you wanted to be. You could be an angry, vindictive God who forces us to submit to an evil tyranny. But you choose to be a most wonderful God who loves us, who forgives us, who's paid the highest price to win us back. Lord, forgive us when our attitude of fear and anxiety denies the truth of your scripture that you rule over all the earth. Let us submit to that rule, Lord. Let us know the peace and joy that comes from knowing you as El Elyon. In Jesus' name, amen.